The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. Greetings, scribes. Just a quick break to recommend our recent sponsor's Book of the Month. Book of the Month makes reading better by offering members a few new book selections each month to help you cut through the noise, save time, and make it easier to decide what to read next. Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles and picks five to seven of the best new books for you to choose from. All of these books are good, so you really can't go wrong. Book of the Month helps readers like you and I find books that we wouldn't normally discover on our own. The cool part is selections largely focus on new and upcoming authors in multiple genres. Book of the Month also recently launched curated audiobooks, so members can get a hardcover or an audiobook each month, which you can then download and listen to right in the app. This month, I chose A Little Supernatural Fair in Murder Road by New York Times bestselling author Simone St. James, described as the story of a young couple that find themselves haunted by a string of gruesome murders committed along an old deserted road in this terrifying new novel. Just go to bookofthemonth.com to pick your first book and join Book of the Month. That's bookofthemonth.com. And for a limited time, you can join and get that first book for just $9.99 with the code CHIRP. That's C-H-I-R-P. Enjoy. Rainmaker FM. Welcome back to The Writer Files. I am your host, Calvin Reed. This is a special edition of the show we traditionally call Writer Porn. Award-winning international journalist, author, and correspondent Adam Skolnick returned to discuss a piece I wrote for copyblogger.com last year titled 21 Productivity Hacks from 21 Prolific Writers. Over the last four years, I've been given the fantastic opportunity to interview a wide range of more than 70 prolific, renowned, and best-selling authors for the Writer Files series. As you may know, each interview digs into the habits, habitats, and brains of these writers, and I ask them all roughly the same set of questions on how they get words consistently onto the page. So I sifted through the extensive series archives, including the written interviews, cherry-picked 21 highlights on productivity from these writers. You'll definitely notice some themes from their advice on keeping the ink flowing and cursor moving, and audio snippets have been excerpted uh, from the available podcast episodes. Guest host Adam Skolnick's narrative nonfiction book, One Breath, Freediving Death, and the Quest to Shatter Human Limits, based on his award-winning New York Times sports reporting, is now available in paperback. Find out more at adamskolnick.com. In addition to his recent journalism, Adam has visited more than 45 countries and contributed to over 30 Lonely Planet guidebooks. He's written for ESPN.com, Men's Health, Outside, BBC, Playboy, The New York Times, and has appeared on NPR. In part one of this file, some highlights include Seth Godin, best-selling author of 18 books on the power of deadlines, Elizabeth Gilbert, number one New York Times best-selling author of Eat, Pray, Love on the inefficiency of perfectionism, Joanna Penn, New York Times best-selling indie author and entrepreneur on scheduling and writing every day, Andy Weir, sci-fi best-selling author of The Martian on motivation, and more great tips from Adam and I as we discuss all 21 productivity hacks. Stay tuned. The Writer Files is brought to you by the all-new Studio Press Sites, a turnkey solution that combines the ease of an all-in-one website builder with the flexible power of WordPress. It's perfect for authors, bloggers, podcasters, and affiliate marketers, as well as those selling physical products, digital downloads, and membership programs. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why over 200,000 website owners trust StudioPress. 
go to rainmaker.fm slash studiopress now. That's rainmaker.fm slash studiopress. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published. All right, welcome back to another special edition of The Writer Files. I am honored uh, to have returning serial pundit and bad penny Adam Skolnick. Thanks for uh, popping back on the show, buddy. Dude, I've been here this whole time. I was wondering when you were going to come back on the line. It's been a long, it's been, I'm, I'm exhausted. I've, I'm dehydrated. I don't know what, I don't know what, but I'm so glad you're back because now I can go to the bathroom after this. <laughs> um, well, yeah. So sorry for keeping you waiting um, okay. for all these months, but uh, yeah. So Adam, if you, if you don't remember, he's, um, he's done a handful of these writer porn uh, episodes, and uh, I love having him back, and we like to catch up on his kind of uh, international. Um, he's a, a, a traveler and uh, journalist who just kind of travels all over the world, club trotting, taking stories, and, and living the writing life. So I love having him on to rap about uh, stuff. And before we get into the meat of the show, maybe Adam, you want to just catch us up a little bit on um, where you've been and what you've been up to, buddy. Yeah, it's been a crazy period of time. Uh, I was in Argentina for uh, six six weeks or so, two different trips for Lonely Planet Travel Guide. So I was there in September and then went back again in October and stayed almost through Thanksgiving. And then uh, in between, I was in Seattle. So that's kind of like... <laughs> It's like commuting hmm. from LA to Europe and back and then going back to Europe. I mean, it's far <laughs> to get to Argentina. It was crazy that I thought that was a good idea. But yeah. in Seattle, I've been looking into a prison reform story. So kind of like those are two sides of of how I've been making a living for the last uh, you know decade where uh, I do a lot of travel stuff. But I've also been trying to tell these um, human rights stories wherever I can. And so this prison reform story is the story I've been I've been on since the end of 2016. And trying, I tried to sell it for, it took me uh, eight, nine months to sell it. And it's found a home at Longreads. Um, oh, cool. And it's going to be, a, it's a great story. It's all about one woman's efforts to reform the prison system in Washington State. Obviously, she has allies and she's not working alone. But she's a really interesting character, kind of a, a very religious woman who grew up a missionary kid in uh, Chiang Mai, Thailand. Her parents were missionaries, went up there. She grew up when uh, Chiang Mai was kind of a horse town. Like she could literally ride horses down the boulevard and, um, wow. and came back to the United States and uh, has been living in the Washington state, uh, in the, excuse me, the Tacoma, Seattle, Tacoma area mm-hmm. uh, for, for years and years and years. And someone at her church uh, was convicted of, um, I mean, she pled guilty to uh, hiring someone to kill her husband. Um, and she was then brought in to kind of counsel the woman through that process. And she followed her through this kind of rabbit hole into the criminal justice system. And for the first time saw um, the issues with that system and specifically with um, how our prisons are run. Um, this is all based around that one case, which is problematic as well. So it's part true crime, part kind of human rights prison reform story. It's gonna be pretty sprawling. But it's been, you know, something a long time coming. And so I'm still in the research mode and we'll be writing it this month. And it's pretty exciting. Nice. Uh, yeah. I look forward to reading that one. It sounds uh, 
Sounds fascinating. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about why uh, you're here today to chat with me about um, it's. I guess what we're looking at today is a piece that I did for Copyblogger titled 21 Productivity Hacks from 21 Prolific Writers. And Adam was actually one of the featured writers um, in that piece. So I thought I'd have him back on to kind of get some hot takes on the other writer's hacks, you know, judging. Just yeah. Being judgy. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to judge kidding. every single one of them, especially <laughs> that guy at number 12. Um, um, I, I thought this was a great piece, by the oh, way, Kelly. You. you know, like it's so it's so helpful. I mean, you know, we were talking before we started taping a little bit about imposter syndrome, but, um, you know, we all have it. Like I, I would imagine any one of these 20, 21 writers on here uh, would agree. It's, it's so helpful just to hear another person's experience, you know, because it, it, it's such a weird process, you know, yeah. trying to connect with this mysterious thing called creativity and do something uh, that that has, I don't know, power or just something that feels authentic to you and that might be um, useful to the reader. And so it's such yeah. a weird process. And uh, I think with the social media, it's becoming exposed more and more, like the sausage factory is being exposed more and more, which is helpful to those of us who work in the sausage factory. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah, I think what uh, inspired me to go back through the more than, you know, 70 um, five interviews that I had done with writers over uh, the last four years. And a handful of these uh, were written interviews and they were interviews that I had done for copy blogger as well. You can find those over on the copy blogger blog, uh, you know, turning the interview then into a podcast seemed kind of like the natural progression for getting into, you know, just the rituals and habitats and habits of these different writers uh, who I, I admire and, and many people admire. But um yeah, I think one of the things I was thinking about, as you mentioned, you know, creativity, productivity, these are, you know, things that, uh, you know, writers have to run up against every day. But I was reading a piece by Derek Berry's for Big Think about um, why being constantly busy is killing our ability to uh, think creatively. And I'll link to that piece as well. I, th- I found that very inspiring and interesting that, you know, we kind of are all victims of this cult of busyness now Mm. um and i know that that you and i have talked about this at length um you know how how the especially like your your cell phone can just kind of sap your creative energy if you're not careful your smartphone and all those notifications and and um you know access to 20 the 24 7 news cycle is can be damaging to to writers Productivity. So anyway, I put together these 21 productivity hacks from these different writers going back through the interviews relevant to our talk here. But yeah, so Adam and I are going to get into these now um, and just kind of get some hot takes on what we what we think about these different writers productivity hacks. So number one, you ready to do this? I'm ready, man. Okay. A lot of people in this audience know who Seth Godin is. He's the best selling author of 18 books. Um, He is a super smart guy, but he was talking about the power of deadlines. And I'll just uh, read this one. The deadline focuses the mind, of course. The curse of the traditional writer is that the publisher wants a book no more often than once a year. So procrastination is part of the process. But blogging, once a day, not every minute like Twitter, which provokes mediocre writing because there's so much of it, but every day, better write something, better make it good. Seth Godin, um, of course, does 
does post a blog post every day, I believe. And um, they're usually short, succinct, and um, often go viral. What do you think mm. about the power of deadlines, Adam? Well, there's something to be said for it, kind of like the, the pressure creates the diamond. So um, I think it works. You know, I, I've, I, I've, deadlines have been my dominator for quite some time. <laughs> I, am, <laughs> yeah. I am the deadlines bitch, and I have been for a long time. <laughs> and it's good. You know, that means that, A, you have something that somebody needs and there's money attached to it, usually, if there's a deadline. Yeah. Um, and it also, it, it, it basically crystallizes your priority list so you know what's at the top of the list. Uh, and yeah, when you're having to push and push and push to get there, you, there's no, you really can't waste too, you know, there's a time where there's, a, it, you come to a point where wasting time is gonna cost you money versus mm -hmm. wasting time is just uh, you avoiding work. And and I think that you just, you just li you know, people can rise to that occasion. And, uh, and you do rise to the occasion, I think more often than not, um, when there's a deadline. So For sure. uh, I think, I think it drives, yeah, absolutely drives creativity. Absolutely. I totally agree with it. I don't blog once a day myself. You know, I think that writing something for consumption once a day seems a bit excessive to me, but mm -hmm. that's just because I, I have kind of longer term work that I, I, there's no, you know, it'd be really hard for me to squeeze in writing a really good blog post once a day. And I don't see how writing something every day wouldn't eventually be mediocre sometimes. Yeah. So but sure. that's, but that's my, that's my opinion on, on the once a day thing. But I think what he's saying is absolutely true. And, and, um, I have no doubt that, that his work is really good once a day is a lot, but I'm sure he can do it. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's kind of like the Zen master of, um, he's been doing it for so long, I think, yeah. uh, and he's been in that business world for so long that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's like, uh, breathing to him, but you know, I, I agree. I think the psychological weight of deadlines is crucial and a lot of writers talk about it. Um, you know, what do you think about the self-imposed deadline versus, you know, kind of the, <laughs> the editorial deadline, um, coming from the top, you know? That that second one is the one that works really well. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, when it was time to write my book, I, I had spent six, seven months uh, on the road researching it. And then I had two months and a week to write a first draft of it. And when you think about that, that's pretty daunting. Yeah. And uh, the only way to get there is to write a prescribed amount. We'll get to that, I'm sure, as we go. A prescribed amount of words every day. Mm -hmm. Um is one way to get to that, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you know, but that in itself, every day churning it out, you get into a rhythm, you kind of tune that work vibration higher and higher and higher. And that's all driven by that deadline. Without that deadline, it, you wouldn't get there, I don't think. Right. And so the pressure, like I said, the pressure creates the diamond. I think it's 100% true. Yeah, yeah. And I think Dan Pink, who, you know, I recently reposted a interview I did with him almost two and a half years ago. He's on uh, uh, Unemployable with Brian Clark mentioned that he, he just wrote a book called when oh, i'll link to it i'll, I'll grab the title for you but th where he talks about a book deadline being good but that that when we have work deadlines we'll often um wait until the halfway point <laughs> to actually get started working so if you have mm. a whole year to write a book for instance you'll probably spend six months of it procrastinating um, mm. and then actually get to work right at the six month point. So depending on the amount of time you have, <laughs> the sh a shorter deadline probably forces you again, like you said, to 
force out that diamond. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, there was that book, um, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, which basically is a psychology book about um, how humans think. And yeah. basically what it comes down to is we're all just inherently lazy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we're Good. always looking for the easiest answer. <laughs> Good takeaway. So, yes, yeah. deadlines. Uh, rock and roll. Dan Pink's book uh, titled when the scientific secrets of perfect timing i just picked it up and uh i'd recommend it so uh yeah let's move on to number two as we roll along here austin cleon one of my faves um i'd love to have him back on the show but uh he's the best-selling author of steal like an artist talking about procrastination quote practice productive procrastination have two or three projects going at one time so if you get sick of one you can jump over to the other Unquote. So quick note on that one. He is also a visual artist. You know, he spent many years in, um, in advertising as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, he has a really interesting, uh, workflow and he, he blogs prolifically. I mean, he's, he's, mm-hmm. he's a guy who believes in kind of showing his work in public so that he can get an idea of, uh, the galvanizing effects of kind of showing what he's doing all the time. Hmm. So anyway, productive procrastination. I love the term. I refer to it often. I think a lot of writers do it. Uh, well, speaking for myself, I mean, it's just part of being a working writer, I think, is you're always doing, you're always either trying to sell some other project reporting. For me as a reporter, let me just take it to me. Um, it's very seldom when I'm not doing everything at once, you know, looking into a new, new story ideas, trying to sell a new story idea, working on an existing story, and maybe taking edits on something you've already filed. You know, it's just, it's just, it's this um, circular kind of pattern that's always there. It's very seldom where I only have one project going at once. I think the writers that have one project going at once are the highly paid, kind of write their own ticket, um, top of the list type uh, authors to me. I mean, I mean, or, or they're, um, because even staff writers at New York, New Yorker, New York Times, all those guys, they're, they're all constantly looking for stories and reporting and writing stories. I mean, it's never just one thing. So I think it's, um, that's common for writers to do that. But with me, I find that I do that sometimes where I'm like working a couple things at once. And then at, at some point that debt, the Godfather deadline will, will kick in and I'll have to just bear down on one thing and knock it off. Eventually one thing kind of rises as the most important, urgent thing to do. And it's going to take all your energy to knock it off. So for me, yeah. that's how that works. Yeah. 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 And I think the other piece about pr- procrastination, especially from a um, neuroscience, uh, standpoint is that we're doing some of the work on the other project in the, in the background. That's kind Mm. of how our brain works. Um, that it's actually, that it's actually working on that other piece while you're distracted by something else. So that's something important, probably about the kind of incubation phase that's happening while you're (laughs) distracted by that other project. So I love that. And I love that, that Einstein quote you included in the story. I hope people read your story with all these in it because it, it, it's so true. It's like it, but you know, that you're like your great line. Then again, he didn't have a smartphone. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. So Einstein called it combinatory play, um, which, you know, he was a big fan of, you know, just playing a musical instrument or whatever. And obviously genius, um, level scientist, but you know, he was saying that the essential feature in productive thought before there's any connection with logical con- construction of words, obviously, is that your mind is doing some of the work in the background for you to be able to um, kind of elucidate on whatever, whatever it is, whatever problem it is you're working on. So, yeah, mm. but he didn't have a smartphone. Mm. <clears throat> 
I don't think. <laughs> no. Um, no. <laughs> uh, cool. All right. So let's do number three, Maria Popova. Uh, Love big, her. Big fan. Of, me too. Of you turned blog, me on to her. Brain pickings. Um, so she was just talking about staying organized, and she obviously has um, a pretty rigorous editorial schedule because she's just so prolific in her her stuff is really, really uh, well researched and and kind of impeccable as far as quality. So, her quote here: "I keep a comprehensive editorial calendar that stretches weeks, months, and sometimes well over a year into the future, where I plan my reading and thus my writing. I take copious notes on books I'm reading as well as online materials. Save everything into Evernote, where I tag meticulously." It's easy for any extensive library or archive to become useless if, if the items in it aren't searchable or retrievable. And I find a tagging system an incredible memory aid to help counter that. What do you think about that system? I think I wish I did that. <laughs> yeah, That's me what too. I think. <laughs> um, because it's true what she's saying. You know, I, I have to say, I don't think there's anyone quite like Maria Popova out there that can... She's kind of part critic, part um, academic level, I guess, literature uh, yeah. academic, you know, to me. She's like part professor, part critic, and then she is able to distill um, her thoughts, her criticisms, her insights into any one writer's work and history and deliver it in such an entertaining and, and digestible way. I just don't think there's anybody like her out there. And if you're interested in figures in literature or in, in the arts or whatever she's writing about that one day, it's mostly writers, isn't it? And, and um, yeah, I really highly recommend her blog. I, th- I find it amazing. Actually, yeah. She covers to be able a, to do that. a wide, a wide swath of um, writers and academics, artists and, and creatives. Yeah. And I think creativity is a, is a, a pretty, pretty, um, uh, prevalent theme in what she does. So it's great. Yeah. You can find so many great things by her. Um, yeah. just, you know, just by looking even just in her sidebar of her website, you can find some great, great, uh, writer resources. Oh yeah. And that's a, and it's a great way to find what you haven't been reading, you know, cause you got to read, no. uh, if you want to do anything in this business. And so, and, and she's, I mean, she's like the, to me, the, professor of the internet, the, the lit professor yeah. of the internet. Yeah. Um, but in terms of uh, tagging, no, I don't do that. But what I did do do now, and I have to thank you for that, and some of your um, the guests that you've had on, is I've switched from Word to Scrivener. Hmm. And so what that does from, like, say the project I'm working on now, um, I can put everything in there. I can put interview transcripts. I can put uh, PDF court documents. I can put... Um, you know, links to articles, I can have all that stuff in one place. So instead of like trying to go into my finder and then running search searches for things all through my documents, yeah. it's all right there in Scrivener for me. And so I can see it. It's like a bulletin board that lives on my monitor. Yeah. And, and um, I don't tag, I don't spend the time to do that. And you can still lose track of some things, but you can also search within Scrivener and find all those things with different, you know, you can just think of, of, what you're looking for that moment might maybe say like, uh, you know, uh, a, you know, rest document or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and then you can, you can find it. So usually, uh, so Scrivener kind of solves that problem for me. I think when I'm working on really big research projects. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that about Scrivener. Um, the organizational piece. Um, yeah. I mean, I think any, any system, 
that, that works for you. I know, um, just going back to Austin Kleon really quick, and I'd love to have him back on to t- chat with uh, us about his productivity system, but he, 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 uh, has a really, really simple system and he goes back to, um, especially for productivity, I think just the power of marking an X on a calendar, uh, every day to completing a project. Um, and that's a pretty yeah. simple, pr- pretty simple, simple system. Obviously has some other organizational things, but they're just so simple. I think the simplest system, um, if it works for you is a good system. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I my, my girlfriend says I, I am, uh, the improv lifestyle <laughs> it's <our laughs> improv life so i don't know if i have a system but you know but if you can but that's why scrivener solves for the systemless people like me scrivener kind of solves that problem because you just that's dump cool. everything in there yeah. and then you can still it, the scrivener has created the system you know it's already there yeah yeah just dumping yeah. all yeah, all that stuff in there and then you the system's there for you and I, evernote I kind of does that too but it sounds like but you do have to tag more yeah and that's another step yeah, I never, I never really took with Evernote, but um, I couldn't do it. Yeah, yeah, couldn't do it. No, no offense to Evernote um, <laughs> users. <laughs> I'm gonna try again one day. I will Still try again. All right, well, let's talk about a friend of yours, uh, Ms. Elizabeth Gilbert, number one oh. New York Times bestselling author of Eat, Pray, Love, and some other fantastic uh, titles. She's talking about the inefficiency of perfectionism. I love this quote from her. I abide by Goethe's rule. Am I saying Goethe correctly? Um, You know, I never ask a Jew how to say a German's name. (laughs) I abide by Goethe's rule. Never hurry, never rest. I never go into crazy fugue states, but I don't ever stop either. I'm a plow mule. I'm very disciplined. I have a great regard for deadlines, usually my own, asterisk deadlines. Uh, Our mother taught us not to become perfectionists, which is where a lot of procrastination and time wasting occurs. Nothing is less efficient than perfectionism. Her great adage, uh, which I still adhere to, was done is better than good. Hot take. Yeah. Uh, well, she, she also said something that stuck with me once, uh, for, which is the perfect is the enemy of the good. So it's the same idea. Yeah. Um, and you know, I mean, I think again, I, I agree with her. You just gotta, sometimes you just gotta do the work. So uh, for me, what I try to do when I'm in the middle of, of, of a heavy workload is 3000 words a day. That's, that's what I try to do. You know, (laughs) that's ambitious. you work up to it. No, I mean, once you're doing it, it's not actually that hard. It can take you six hours. It can take you eight hours. It can take you four hours. It depends on what you're writing at that moment and how much how much you have to kind of sift through your research to get there. Uh, I also find that when I first start, I might not get there at first. It might be a thousand words the first day. The next day, eighteen hundred words, and you start tuning up that vibration. And I think that in writing and in in almost anything, but specifically to writing, it's a muscle. And if you haven't been doing it, uh, for a while, it's going to take a bit to get up to it, but it's, it's something you can tune up to maximum productivity. Um, I, I usually the work for me, it goes in phases of research and then writing research Mm -hmm. and then writing. Yeah. And so, so I might have two months away from actually working on a writing project, two or three months. Like that happens to me pretty frequently. And then when I get back, yeah, I mean the first day I'm not zapping out 3000 words that day. (laughs) But, you know, I've also talked to elite athletes just in the course of what I do for a living. And, you know, they tell me, they tell me in 30 days, you can get to 90, 90% of where you were at peak, at your peak form. Wow. So I think that's true with, with writing and it actually takes less time. 
and within a couple of weeks, you'll be, you'll, you know, you'll be right back up to where you were. So okay. I, I think that it's a vibration that you tune up and that's what she's talking about. She doesn't ever stop. She's a plow mule. You know, she's in that upper echelon where she, she, she can't, she sets her own deadlines. Yes. Yeah, she's going to have deadlines for a publisher, but she can, most of the time she has to set her own deadlines because she doesn't, she's not looking for the kind of piecemeal work like a lot of us are. So, yeah, yeah. um, and so, yeah, she has to self-impose otherwise she could just kind of get lost and not have to do anything. So it must be, she's facing challenges that I don't even know yet. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that was a good interview. Um, that's a written, a written interview with her. Of course, uh, all of these, uh, interviews are linked to in the original blog post. So all you have to do is go to 21 productivity hacks from 21 prolific writers over on copy blogger. And there's a link, um, to each of the, uh, authors original interview there. So you can access all of those in one spot. If you wanted to check any of those inter full interviews out. Okay. Number five, Daniel Pink, uh, multiple New York Times bestselling authors written six books now, um, three of which kind of, well, I think two were number one New York Times bestsellers. One uh, is consistently in the New York Times bestselling list. And um, yeah, he talks about setting daily word counts and unplugging. I love this interview with Dan. I just recently reposted it. It's kind of a fan favorite from the archives on the uh, podcast. So mm. um, I think that'll pop up next if you're listening. When I'm working on a book or it's sort of at the stage where I've done enough research where I feel like I've more or less mastered a lot of the material and can move on to executing it, uh, I, I actually will be pretty, I look at it like, I, I think of it as bricklaying, where I'll, you know, come to my office, show up in my office at a certain time, you know, you, you know, like say nine o'clock, and then I will set myself a, a word count for the day, mm. let's say 500 words, and then I will and turn off my phone, turn off my email, and then I will do nothing, truly nothing, until I hit my word count. And if I hit my word count at 11, in the morning, hallelujah. If it's two o'clock in the afternoon, and I still haven't hit my word count. I ain't going anywhere. So I think that just goes right back to um, what you were just talking about. Yeah. I mean, if you're doing 500 words, a thousand words, you can turn everything off and take no breaks. It actually doesn't take that long once yeah. you're, once you're tuned up. Um, but 3000 words, uh, you're going to need to take a break, you know? So, <laughs> so it just depends on what your goal is. You know, if, if, if your goal, the reason 3000 words sticks for me is because I've had to do kind of these big lonely planet manuscripts, you know, you know, hunks of chapters, a hundred pages, maybe of a guidebook in, in a, you know, five week period of time. Yeah. And so the only way to do that is to take on a big chunk of words. And like I said, with one breath, I had that same kind of deadline. The only way to have gotten met that deadline of two months is to do 3000 words a day. Um, that's the only way to accomplish it. So you do it, but, uh, but if you're, if you're working on a more self-composed thing and you're trying to say, Oh, I'll do a thousand words a day just to get something done, 500 words a day then yeah, that's per perfectly reasonable. If you're trying to take a, a bigger chunk of words, 3,000 words a day, which theoretically will get you pretty close to a finished manuscript of a 300-page book, two, you know, 280, 280-page book within a month. Hmm. Um, you know, that's why 3,000 words, I think, is so powerful. Wow. Uh, but if, you know, if you're trying to do that, you're not going to, you're going to have to take a break. And I, I don't think we should be, I mean, personally, I do not advocate chaining yourself to a desk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think you have to get up and walk around. I think you have to be real gentle with yourself, but get the work done. Like it. I like it. And, you know, I mean, I, I think we've talked before about, again, going back to tuning up, you know, how writers um, 
that I've often compared, um, you know, best-selling, very productive, highly productive writers like yourself to pro athletes. So it kind of goes hand in hand with just, I don't know, looking at it like exercise. You know, you don't necessarily like to do it, but the, you know, the more you get in there, the stronger you're going to get, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it was actually Anthony Irvin, gold medal swimmer, who, who won for the 50-meter freestyle in the last uh, Summer Olympics. Mm-hmm. And um, he's the one that told me that. I was so surprised because he, we, were just kind of, we were just kind of commiserating about, like, drinking too much and, like, eating too much. And, you know, he, he was kind of chilling, but he was told me that training was going to start up pretty soon. And I said, um, I said, hey, how long does it take? And he said, yeah, within 30 days, he gets to about 90% of where he was at the Olympics. I mean, that's nice. that shows you how much you can do in 30 days' time. It just shows you that no matter what's going on in your life, 30 days, you can really flip the calendar and and be a totally different version of yourself. It's, I think that's the most empowering thing I've heard in a long time. And, it, and it's certainly true for a writer that's kind of hasn't been writing. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, all right, let's go to number six, Darren Rouse. Um, is uh if you don't know darren founder of pro blogger which you've probably heard of uh he's a new media pioneer he created a digital photography school also uh, interestingly enough um but he's been blogging for 13 plus years and he talked about working in public and finding a flow state let's listen to that one yeah i tend to write offline where i can and so i do go to a cafe quite a bit to write if I, I need to do that and they don't have Wi-Fi. I could get on on my phone, but I tend to avoid doing that unless I have to. And I find that if I'm once I get in the zone of writing, I can go anywhere from an hour to four hours without any problem and, and almost get lost in it. Mm. And I love that space. I love being in that zone and, and just firing. It does get a little awkward <laughs> when you're not drinking coffee in the cafe, but... <laughs> Right. Typically, during the day, I work in 50 to 60-minute bursts, but I go with the flow if it's, if it's firing. Again, unplugging, and uh, I think that's uh, another important piece we can talk about because writing offline, you know, I know probably for journalists who are, you know, incorporating quite a bit of research, that can be tough. Yeah, yes and no. I mean, listen, that's a good idea, and I've done that. And um, when I'm on the road... Uh, especially overseas, I stay offline more because you don't have the same productivity or connect, excuse me, connectivity in your, in my pocket. I don't have the same, right? Cause I mean, sometimes I get a SIM card and I'm connected to the internet in, in my smartphone and sometimes I don't. And so you don't have that same, uh, connectivity. It's not, you don't have that same kind of glittering thing saying, Hey, check me, check me. You're just not going to yeah. be able to do it. And so, uh, so that's good. I mean, it's good to, I, I, I think that there's something to be said for, tuning out of the internet, turning off your Wi-Fi and getting work done because there's plenty of research you can have offline that you mm-hmm. can use. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So no, I think, I think that that's fine. And many times I've done daily stories where I had to turn something in by the end of the day, that's something that just happened and, um, was in a place without internet and it didn't impact me negatively. So, um, yeah, so you, you don't always have to be connected, even as a journalist. Um, I don't have the same high regard for the flow state. I love that space, too. Everyone loves that space when you're in this vibe and you're feeling it. You're like, yeah, this is great. This is powerful. Uh, everyone loves that feeling. I don't necessarily think your best work comes from that feeling. I don't think it. I think you can certainly do phenomenal work in, in a, in, when you're feeling it. Um, but I also think you can do phenomenal work that comes and fits and spurts and you have to fight through it. So, um, I, the flow state feels great. I don't think it's like some, um, sacred space that you found that's going to deliver your best writing. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, 
but of course every writer has their own also um rhythms and and you know best kind of practices for getting the words down there but yeah that is that is important it's something i think that that other writers have talked about too which we'll touch on um kind of further in but it's that uh yeah you don't necessarily need to be <laughs> feeling it to be uh productive yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, everything i'm saying is can be contradicted by somebody else <laughs> because it's all sure. it's all so subjective in this in this world that we're living in so yeah, yeah, yeah. nothing against any against that frame of mind because i can see yeah. how that's effective uh but yeah I, 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 um but if you're trying to get a certain amount of work done every day that you're just not always going to tap that flow state it's just impossible yeah, yeah. yeah. best-selling um sci-fi author i think andy weir um, talks about that too. So, um, well, let's talk about, uh, Hugh Howie, also another bestselling, uh, sci-fi writer. He wrote wool. He's a hybrid author, highly successful, um, in both self-publishing and traditional publishing, but he just talked about the same thing going offline, getting started. Um, he says, open up the document, turn off the internet and, and start writing. And if you're not sure what happens next in the story, skip to the part of the story that you know is going to happen and start writing there or, just start writing about your character or if you know this next scene takes place in a bar, just describe the bar. You're going to delete every bit of that, but describe every facet of that bar, what the jukebox looks like, what, what the street noise is, like every weird detail that you don't even, you aren't going to, aren't going to end up in your story. And as soon as you start doing that, you're going to find that you're able to uh, get back into the flow of the plot. Just start, just uh, I get over I yourself like, and just start. I like it. I think it's super simple. And I th- I'm with you. Like the simplest advice is usually the most true. And um, I really like that. I liked reading that. I, I've been, I've made notes on all of these <laughs> last night. And the only <laughs> thing I have down for number seven is I like that. That's good advice. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So we can, we can just go to the next one. Um, yeah. So uh, Joanna Penn, who uh, is a great um, example of uh, what we often call author entrepreneur. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say the hybrid version of that, uh, bardpreneur, but, um, yeah, (laughs) no, I think the term is authorpreneur, but it's, uh, it's trade, it's trademarked. (laughs) So I have to say bardpreneur. Um, so, uh, yeah. So Joanna Penn, um, is a New York times bestselling, uh, indie author and entrepreneur. Um, she kind of does it all because she does nonfiction and fiction. Um, but she also speaks about, um, you know, kind of, uh, how to make it as an uh, author and an entrepreneur simultaneously. So, um, she's got a great blog, um, where she writes about all this stuff, but she says, well, I, I write something every day, um, but I do schedule specific blocks of writing for first draft for books. So um, I would say that I try and create something every day. I try and put something new into the world. And I've got on my wall here a big sign that says, have you made art today? So, uh, you know, however you define art is important. But when I'm actually writing a book, like first draft of a book, like I just did with Risen Gods, I actually schedule that in my diary like I would any other business appointment, um, because this is a business as well as an art. And pretty much block out, uh, you know, every every day, half a day, five days a week to go and write a hardcore first draft. This is on uh, scheduling and, uh, of course, writing every day. Um, But yeah, speak to that. Um, Well, like I said before, I I go from research periods to writing periods. And uh, when it's a writing period, yeah, it's all I'm doing. So I'm not, 
I'm not doing it. I'm not in the field anymore. I'm at the desk and I'm cranking out a certain amount of time, a certain amount of words every day. I've heard Gladwell talk about that too. Um, I think on, on a podcast, I heard him talk about how he goes from research periods to writing periods as well. So a lot of people do do that. And I think that's what she's talking about. I mean, when I'm on a deadline, I write every day. I could even forego, forego weekends, depending on the deadline and how stiff it is. And I just work straight through and I do, uh, I don't, I don't schedule it quite that way. Like I don't say I'm here at nine, but that's partly because I don't have kids, so I don't have to. But I think if you have children if you ha- and, and you have all these other demands on your time beyond work, mm-hmm. um, then yes, I think that you have to schedule that in. I just, I don't have that, so that's why I don't. But I do still show up at the desk every day. Usually what happens for me is I work in the morning, have lunch, work in the afternoon, um, and go f- do some exercise, and then work in the evening if I have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and Dan Pink, um you know, kind of talks about, um, again, I think it's like kind of your writing circadian rhythm, um, that, you know, you, you know, what, which time of day is going to work best for which piece of what you're doing. And, and he talks about kind of the, the peak, the trough and the rebound of, um, the day probably applies to creatives, especially, but you kind of, um, have an analytical part, um, an administrative part and an insight part. And, um, you know, if you can figure out which, which, you know, how to structure your day that works best for you, um, and getting all those things done, I think scheduling is, is a great way to do it. If, if, if you can figure out those, uh, the rhythms that work for you. Yeah. And if you're, if you have a day job, and what you're trying to do is is chunk out something like a manuscript that you want to sell as a novel or non whatever it is. No. Um, then scheduling, I think, is absolutely vital. Sure, sure. Yeah, I always like the story of Hugh Howey writing uh, wool in the broom closet of the bookstore where he was working uh, on his breaks. So that's yeah, kind of romantic. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, all right, so here's Andy Weir's best-selling author of The Martian on motivation. So a great writer, and I can't remember his or her name. I, uh, I, I just completely blanked on who it was, but they said, sometimes you're writing and you're extremely motivated. You're just like cranking out words, you're doing well. And other times it's just like a slog. It's like every word on the page is like this huge amount of work for you. And you feel like crap. You feel like you're just, you know, just hammering away and it's just constant effort and it doesn't feel good at all. Yeah. One thing you'll notice is, if you wait a week and then look back on the stuff you wrote, you can't tell the difference between when you were motivated and when you weren't. Hmm. So it's really important to remember, and this helps me a lot, it's really important to remember that the quality of your work isn't greatly affected by the amount of enthusiasm you had at the moment you wrote it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that is exactly, when I read that, it, that is exactly how I feel about pretty much everything. <laughs> especially, <laughs> Life especially, in general. Especially yeah. this job. Uh, no, I mean, I was having this conversation with another writer the other day and talking about how I'm always uncomfortable when I'm writing a first draft. And I think that's one subconscious reason why I tend to step, to put off starting the first draft. Because once I start, it feels like a big mountain and the words come out clunky at first and sometimes for days. And often I can't help shake this feeling that whatever I'm writing is shit. And then I go back later and, you know, week, like he's saying, and it's actually pretty good. And, you know, that, that's that's my own issue, obviously, but I think it's kind of common. And, you know, but then you can 
get into this flow state where you're like, wow, this is great. This is, this is what I'm doing this for. Um, but I, but I think it's more, it's, it's, it's more common to feel uncomfortable. And I think it's part of that inherent discomfort is part is this kind of reckoning with the mystery of the process. Hmm. There's no guarantees in it. You know, you sit down and you hope to do your very, you know, you're doing your best, but you hope it ends up being good. And you have all this information. If you're a journalist, people have put their trust in you, their stories with you. And that's another kind of pressure. And there's no guarantees it's going to come out great on the other end. And that's really uncomfortable, I think. And, and, and if, you've, if, it's, if you're doing fiction, you've been thinking about this story for, for months, maybe years. Um, and, and you have all these hopes and dreams tied up into it. And that brings its own set of pressure. And, of course, there's no guarantees that you'll find a buyer for your project. There's no guarantees any of your dreams will come true. Um, and so that's uncomfortable inherently. Uh, and so uh, I'm not saying that to dissuade anybody. I'm just saying that's part of the way this process works. And yeah. so if you feel uncomfortable while you're writing, you shouldn't worry about that because, because you know, it is an uncomfortable process and there's a lot that we can't know how it's going to turn out. Um, and so don't wait to feel good because it's going to be hard to feel good some of these days when, when you're dealing in a process like this. Yeah, no, I love that. I think uh, about as well as you could put it for sure. Cool. All right. So let's jump into Jeff Goins. And again, this is going back to kind of the writer as athlete, but metaphor. Jeff is a multiple bestselling author of uh, half a dozen books. He's um, a pretty prolific blogger as well as an educator um, kind of on writing and the writing process. So um, he talks about writing writer's block and not editing while you write. I think the best way to work through writer's block is to write. Uh, you know, I, I think that I'm making all these analogies about the gym as if I go there all the time. I, <laughs> I, I don't. I, I talk about working out uh, like writing because they're both difficult for me and I wish I did them more than, than I currently do. But like I think about that and I go, well, I can make all these excuses about why I don't go to the gym. I've got, I've got you know, weightlifters block. And um, like I just think creativity is a muscle and I think the less you use it, like the harder it is. And the more you use it, the stronger you get, the easier it is. And so um, are there times when it's hard? Yeah, I, th I think so. But um, I, don't, I don't think it's that hard to write. I think that we get in our own way when we, when we wear more than one hat at the same time. For instance, I don't edit while I write. We all hear this, don't edit while you write, blah, blah, blah. blah. But really, like, I just write. And, and the way that I can do that is I have times of writing, I have times of editing, and I have times of publishing. These are all different uh, blocks of time that I use in an hour of writing time. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, I think this is kind of incorporating a lot of what we've already talked about. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it sounds about right to me. I mean, one thing, if you're, if you're going to do the athlete-writer metaphor is, um, I often think about what athletes say is, you know, LeBron James says this all the time is like, you, you leave it all out on the floor and let the chips fall. And that's the same, tr you know, going back to what I was saying about, there's no guarantees. So how do you respond to something when you're not guaranteed success? All you can do is do your very best, give it everything you've got and let the chips fall. And if you do that, I think you'll find that you'll be satisfied with the process and you'll feel like you've gotten something out of it. And, and that's what, you know, that's what we're here for. I think. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Thanks so much for joining us for this half of a tour through the writer's process. 
We will return with more productivity hacks in part two, so tune in next week. And if you enjoy The Writer Files, please subscribe to the show and kindly leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts to help other writers to find us. For more episodes or to just leave a comment or a question, you can drop by writerfiles.fm. And you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.